I just got an update about the boys in the, the Thai cave. Apparently, four of them have just been uh, safely retrieved just about 10 minutes ago. So we praise God, uh, and we want to continue to pray for them. And hopefully, as this continues to progress, they'll be able to get everyone out. And hopefully, the gospel will come forth through this somehow. We don't know how God will work it, but... By God's will, he will. And uh, more than just getting some people out of a dark cave, he'll bring people out of the darkness into his glorious light. As I wrote to you in uh, this week's Grace and Peace, over the summer we're going to be looking at great prayers of the Bible. Or you might be able to say it this way, great prayers of the Bible. It's a great word in English because it means a prayer. That is the thing that we say. It also means the person who utters the, the prayer, the prayer and the prayer. So what are we looking at? Are we looking at the prayer or are we looking at the prayer? Well, it depends. Only God is good, so in that sense, it must be the prayer. Uh, but we want to take a look at great prayers, people who understood prayer, who lived a life of prayer, maybe not all the time, but at least in the Bible there is recorded some prayers that men and women of the faith have uttered who have gone before us. And we want to look at their lives, and we want to look at the prayers that they prayed one thing that I, I want you to look for as we go through uh, this summer is that you might be surprised what constitutes a great prayer and what constitutes a great prayer. I think sometimes we get so worked up thinking that we have to somehow get ourselves into a more holy place in order to be received by God, but that's just not the case. We can't put ourselves in a more holy place than we already are if we are in Christ. Uh, the great thing about Jesus Christ, and there are many, is that he mediates our prayers. We pray to the Father through the Son. And so whatever imperfection we have, whatever we are lacking, whatever our prayers are lacking, they're more than made up in the perfect Son of God. And we're going to look today at a prayer of Isaac. Uh, but later in the summer, we're going to look at a prayer, for example, of Samson. Uh, is it possible to say that, that Samson was a great prayer, that Samson uh, uttered great prayers? Well, I'm going to make the argument yes, even though his life is not one that I would commend for emulation. But he is in Hebrews 11. Now, he's an example of faith. And so it's really important as we go through this, we're not looking at plaster saints. We're looking at flesh and blood saints. And the great difference is a flesh and blood saints has all of the, the, the sin tendencies and problems that we had or that we have. And so we can look to them as our model. Now, if you're like me, you don't pray as much as you ought, as much as you even want to pray. And sometimes when you sit down to pray, it doesn't go as smoothly as you wish it would. Uh, sometimes you get totally distracted and, and you start with good intentions and then there's this sort of period of silence that's lost to history. You don't even know what happened in that time. A and then you're thinking about something else that has nothing to do with your prayer and you bring yourself back. It happens, has it ever happened to any of you? It happens to me. And what I don't want this series to be is you've got to pray more and you've got to pray better. I don't want it to be that. But I do want it to be this. Let's be a praying people. Let's, let's challenge one another with full grace and, 
and, and patience with one another. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's set goals for ourselves to take everything to God in prayer. Let's, let's remember who God is and remember who we are. And if we just do that, we'll be drawn to prayer because we're so needy and God has uh, everything that we need. So if we could just remember who God is and remember who we are, it's not that we have to force ourselves to pray, but we will be compelled just little by little, small steps, small improvements, imperfect at times, long pauses, uh, rabbit trails of praying people. So that's the hope. Today's prayer and preaching text is just one verse. We don't even get the words of the prayer, but open your Bibles to Genesis 25, verse 21. This is uh, a prayer of Isaac. We've just been told that Isaac uh, met Rebecca. Then they were married. Then we have the death of Abraham. And now we have this. Genesis 25, verse 21. This is the word of God. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in prayer asking that you would help us to be a praying people. As Isaac came to you in prayer when he and Rebekah were unable to conceive a child, as I know what that feels like, come to you with that prayer. So there are many prayers that have come from our hearts in similar seasons of despair and desire and wanting. Lord, help us to understand this prayer of Isaac. Help us to understand this text that our prayer lives might be enriched. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this prayer seems straightforward enough, doesn't it? Rebecca was barren. She was unable to have a child. So Isaac, her husband, took it to the Lord in prayer. Wouldn't you know it? The Lord granted his prayer. She conceived and they had a child. That, that's simple. So the take-home point is relatively simple. We should be out of here in about five minutes. Uh, if you're facing an obstacle, any obstacle at all, anything that you can't seem to surmount yourself, pray about it. The Lord will grant your prayer, and the obstacle will be overcome. Right? Close the Bible. We're done. That's how prosperity preachers would preach it. Claim it, or name it, claim it. Pray it. Receive it. I hope I don't need to stress how dangerous this kind of interpretation and application is. And I would especially caution you in any moment of good intention, if you have friends or relatives who are struggling with infertility, be very careful taking them to this verse. 
I can't remember in my many years of being unable to conceive a child if anyone brought me to this particular verse, but I know many people who gave me that kind of advice. Well, pray about it. Just stop stressing about it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And then, lo and behold, you'll have a child. As if I hadn't been praying for a child. And we can do great damage to people who want a child. And we say, well, aren't you praying? Aren't you faithful enough? Or we could be like the friends of Job and say, um, well, there must be some sin in your life. There must be something that you're doing where God's not receiving your prayer. There's something that deficient in you. And therefore, you're not getting the answers to your prayers. Because we know if you go back to the beginning of Genesis, God says, be fruitful, multiply. It's God's will that you have children, and many of them have more children. Pray for God. There's something in you. Now, the context here is about not being able to have children, but, but you could take this same thinking and, and, and apply it to any obstacle, right? Anything that somebody is trying to overcome. It could be an illness. It could be uh, desperate poverty. It could be all kinds of things. Aren't you praying about it? Must be something wrong with you or with your prayers. That's not what the Bible here is teaching And let us never be a people that simplify the Bible this way. Such a kind of simple interpretation is for uh, lesser Christians. And by lesser, I mean non-Christians. People who are Christian by name only. There are a number of things that we must bring to bear on this verse if we're going to rightly interpret it, rightly understand what makes this a great prayer. What is about this that I am commending to our church this morning. Let me just start with three things and we'll focus on the third. Number one, Isaac's prayer had to align with God's will in order for God to answer it. Isaac's prayer had to align with God's will in order for the Lord to answer it. So if the Lord did not will for Isaac and Rebekah to have a child, he could have prayed Uh, until the end of his days, and they would not have had a child. It had to be within God's will. And this is a very important part of understanding prayer. We should take everything to the Lord, but always we remind ourselves that if what we're asking for is opposed to God's will, we're not going to bend his arm or, 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 or bend his ear, twist his arm. You can't go to God and say, God, I've asked for this, and I've asked for it in a particular way a number of times. Therefore, you are compelled to do my will. You're compelled to do my bidding. That, that treats God like some cosmic genie. We talked about last week, that's what magic is. Magic is where you do certain rites and rituals. You say certain enchantments here on earth and you bind the spiritual realm because of what you're doing on earth. Our God doesn't work that way. And so the very first thing when you're reading through this, uh, Genesis 25, 21, the very first thing in rightly understanding this verse is you have to say, wow, so Isaac prayed for something that was in keeping with God's will. It may not be God's will that Angie and I will ever conceive a child biologically, but by God's great mercy and kindness toward us, we're parents, we've adopted a beautiful little girl, She's my daughter, and if he is willing, I am now praying that he would enable us to adopt another, but it's been many years now, and for whatever reason, doors have closed. We don't have another child. 
You could join me in that prayer if you want. Pray for us that God would add to our family. But that's only going to happen if it's God's will. So what is it that you're praying for? Keep praying for it, but remind yourself that God will not give it to you if that's not his will for you. Remember that song that we sung, I Surrender All? That's really important then, that our posture of prayer, as we come and we say, God, please, I'm pleading with you. I, I want this. I don't see anywhere in Scripture. I don't see anywhere in, in my conversations with anyone else that this is necessarily against your will. Please grant me the desires of my heart. At the same time, oh God, I surrender all. I know that you have a plan, and I surrender myself to it. The second thing in rightly understanding this verse is we have to understand that it falls in the book of Genesis where God is doing something very specific. May I say unique through a particular family. He gave a set of promises to an old barren couple, Abraham and Sarah, and said, I'm going to multiply your family so that they're as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Isaac, we've been told already, is the son of promise through whom this promise to his father Abraham will be fulfilled. And now Abraham has surely told his son this. I mean, he had to explain the whole situation between him and his brother Ishmael. I, I love your brother Ishmael, but he's not the son of promise. He's, he's not the one through whom this promise is going to be carried. You are carrying this promise. And so Isaac knows that through him, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. He doesn't know how. But we are looking for generation after generation, ultimately from Abraham to the Messiah. That's how all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And so Isaac knows something of this, though he may not exactly understand it. Now, if we take an even more broad view of what God is doing, if we want to tra trace the line of salvation history through the Bible... God is marking it with barren couples to show that he is strong and able to provide in our moments of weakness and impossibility. So he starts with an old barren couple, Abraham and Sarah, and the old covenant ends with an old barren couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. John the Baptist is born. Those are the bookends of what God is doing to get us from Abraham to the Messiah. And in between, there are all kinds of impossibilities. And this is a motif of the barren mother, the barren couple. And, and he adds to that motif, not exactly that, but no, maybe not just in the line of the Messiah, but other main players, impossible, perilous birth stories. So you have, like I said, Abraham and Sarah. You have here, Isaac and Rebekah, who are having a tough time conceiving, though they are the family, the line through which the earth is going to be blessed. Then you have Jacob and Leah. Now, Leah was not barren, but she was an improbable woman to bear the line of the Messiah because Jacob didn't even love her. Jacob didn't even want to marry her. Jacob had his eyes on her younger sister, Rachel, because she was more beautiful and more pleasing to him. But uh, Laban, their father, surprised them and did a switch. And on, on, on Jacob and, and Rachel's wedding night, they went into the dark tent and there was a consummation of the marriage. But it, behold, in the morning, it's not Rachel, that's Leah. And so he was stuck with her and we're all the better for it. Because the fourth child 
to Leah was Judah, and through Judah comes David, through David the Messiah. Similar kind of impossible birth story is Judah and Tamar. Tamar was, was married to Judah's son. He died, so uh, Judah gave her to his other son. He died, so Judah says, you're not having my third son. You're cursed, woman. Go back to your own family. So she dresses up like a prostitute, and he, in a moment of profound sin, conceives a child with her, not knowing who she is, because she's all dressed up. Maybe his eyesight was bad. He thought she was the prostitute that she was pretending to be, and that's the line of the Messiah. Perez by Judah and Tamar. See, this is a motif of improbable births to show that God is a God of grace, a God of impossibilities to save us from our sin. You go down the line and you have another improbable birth, Obed by Ruth and Boaz, a Moabite woman. You keep going and you have Elkanah and Hannah. Hannah was barren, she prayed for a son. And Samuel is born to her. Samuel's not in the line of Messiah, but he's the kingmaker that identifies the line of the Messiah in David. And then, as I said, you have Zechariah and Sarah at the end of the Old Covenant, and the most improbable birth story of all, where the, the motif of the barren mother comes to full fruition is the conception of a virgin by the Holy Spirit and the birth of the son of David, the son of God. So, you have to understand all of that to rightly understand this verse. God is doing something amazing here. That may not be the case for me or for you. Isaac prayed, oh Lord, give a child to my barren wife. And he did. For his glory. Because of a greater story. A greater history. A greater salvation that is happening. So we can't just pluck this prayer out and apply it to whatever obstacle is in our life and say, well, if it worked for Isaac, it's going to work for me. This is not an enchantment by which we control God so that he, as our cosmic genie, can do our bidding. And now we come to the third of three things that we must understand. And this is often overlooked. And this is the take-home point. Isaac prayed for the better part of 20 years that his wife would conceive. Now, you don't see that in verse 21. Take a look at verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebe Rebekah, his wife, conceived. It just looks like prayer, answer, done. It, it just seems like a very quick, very easy transaction between Isaac and the Lord. And in our uh, ready-made culture, that's exactly how we read it. But take a look at verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. How old was Isaac when they were, born, when they were married? 40. Now go, into, go down to verse 26. Afterward, so after Esau was born, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, or heel grabber, usurper. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. How old was Isaac when God answered his prayer? 60 years old. How long do you think Isaac and Rebekah tried to have a child before Isaac started to pray? Months? Probably. 
at the most years, like in the single digits. And then 20 years later, the Lord answered his prayer. How many of you have been praying for something for 20 years? I bet you some of you have. 20 years. But I bet you many of us have prayed a lot less and given up. What are we to make of this 20-year wait? How do you imagine that Isaac and Rebekah managed those 20 barren years? Well, I'm sure you had some of Isaac comforting his wife. Now listen, Rebekah, my father received a promise from God that we were going to be the family through which God blesses the nations. He told my father that we will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Maybe. Maybe he also went and he says, now don't forget, we uh, Arameans are late bloomers. My dad was 100 when I was born. I'm only 45. I'm only 50. I'm still only 55 years old. My dad was 45 years older. And you know, it's, I think of that in my own family life. Uh, my grandpa was 49 when my dad was born. His dad, so my grandpa's dad, was 42 when he was born, and within three generations, we're back at the Civil War. My great-grandfather didn't fight in the Civil War, but he was alive while it was going on. So we're, we Browns are late bloomers. There still may be a biological child in me, but I don't know. And to be quite honest, I've ceased to care. But Isaac might have tried to comfort his wife that way. But I imagine there were also many days of despair. I know from experience that it's painful when, when you long for a child and a child doesn't come. Every month you get a reminder of unanswered prayer. It's hard. Seasons of longing, difficult days of waiting. The Bible does not tell us how Isaac and Rebekah managed these 20 years. But we can surmise with some confidence how they ought to have behaved. That doesn't mean that they did. But there's something for us to learn. There's something that I imagine the elder Isaac and the elder Rebekah would have looked back on their experience and, and they would have given us some counsel. And there's two things that I imagine they might have said to us. One, be patient. Be patient. What we know but from reading the full story is that the very first time that Isaac prayed for a child, God had heard his prayer. Now, for whatever reason, God says, I'm going to make you wait. Probably to glorify God, that God wanted to be known as the God who brings about impossible things. So there is some glory for God in the delay. But God heard his prayer, just as when we pray, God hears our prayers if we are in Christ. I can't say that that is true for, for unbelieving people. Not that God is unaware of the prayers, but he doesn't hear them in the same way. But if you're in Christ, you have access to the throne room of God. And when you pray, God hears every one of your prayers. Good prayers, bad prayers. Selfless prayers and selfish prayers. God hears them all. And he receives them all. What we know from this story is 
from the very first moment that God heard Isaac's prayer, and even before, God had decided to answer Isaac's prayer. It was within God's will to grant this couple a child. Now, God's timeline may have been radically different than Isaac's timeline, and yet God had said, I will grant this prayer. So I, I imagine the elder Isaac and the elder Rebecca would say to us, when you're praying for something and you don't get it right away, be patient. I imagine they also would say, be persistent. I imagine that it wasn't a once and done kind of prayer. And again, I know this from experience. I can't imagine that it, Isaac was that different than I was. Or as I am, as I pray for another child by adoption. Be persistent. Keep praying. I imagine that Isaac prayed many times for a child. And yet, month came, months went, years came, years went. Decade one was over, no child. Decade two, get near the end, no child. But he kept praying. He had to be patient. And through this, persisting prayer, God taught him patience. We don't often think about persistence and patience together. If we're being persistent, it feels like we're being impatient, and yet it's in our persistence as God withholds what we're asking for that we develop patience. And I am, I, again, I, I have to go into the realm of speculation, but as we got into year 15 and year 16 and year 17, as Isaac prayed and he continued to be persistent, I, I just think to myself that there must have been certain weeks and months and seasons where it just became a matter of routine. He was praying the prayer, but he had prayed it for so long that, that it lacked the despair that it had in earlier seasons. But he was persistent, and God was building patience in him. Therefore, what I want us to conclude about great prayers and great prayers is that great prayers and great prayers need to be patient and ought to be persistent. Patient. When we pray, and I've said this already, but I just want to underscore here. When we pray, we must surrender all, remembering that God is under no, um, under no compulsion to grant our prayers at all and not immediately. Sometimes God says yes, and we get a prayer in the next day, the next week. We prayed that God would deliver some, some boys from a cave in Thailand, and about six minutes before we prayed it, God had already delivered four. Now, I say that's pretty immediate. In fact, we were a little late to the party. But we prayed. And God, who's outside of time, might have just applied that prayer backwards. I don't know. Uh, but, but the point is, sometimes God is immediate. You pray for something, and all of a sudden, there it is. Sometimes he says yes, and he grants it immediately. Sometimes God says no, and he will never grant your prayer. It doesn't mean it's sin to be persistent. And through a lifetime of praying for something that God will never grant, he will teach you both persistence and patience. So it's not a waste of prayer. And sometimes God says, not yet. Not yet. I want you to keep praying. 
I'm not ready. It's, it's, your timeline is not my timeline. I'm not ready to answer this prayer, to grant it, to give you what it is you're asking for. And it doesn't mean that what you're asking for is not a good request. It could be a very good request. But prayer to God should never be on demand. And this is hard for us in our culture because we all have a cell phone in our pocket so that now, if we can't get a hold of someone on demand, we're irate, we're, we become frustrated. You know, you know, when I leave the house and I don't have my phone on me, I feel as if uh, I've cut myself off from my wife in some way. What if she wants to get a hold of me? She won't be able to get a hold of me on demand. Oh man, these, these, these generations before us are just like, 20 years ago, I, I kind of wish I, I could go back to those days. You know where you're out on the boat and no one can get a hold of you? Now you have to actually throw your phone overboard by mistake for that to be the reality. We are living in an on-demand, in an on-demand world where, where we can't fathom that it takes time to get a hold of someone. We live in a world of photocopiers and microwaves. Uh, even TV now. You don't even have to wait a week to see the next episode. Everything is on demand. In fact, the way of, of, uh, of TV has gone so much that Netflix is worth more than Disney. Their net worth is more than Disney. Why? Because they cater to the on-demand desires of our generation. So this idea that we would pray to God and have to wait 20 years is the exact opposite of what the world is conditioning us to. All the more, though, I might expect God might ask us to wait for certain things. So our prayers need to be patient. Our prayers also must be persistent. Provided our request is within God's will, as Isaac's was, God invites us to be persistent. Now, how do you know if your, will, your prayer is in God's will? You don't. There's no way to read God's mind. But there is a way to know if your prayer is not in God's will, and that is if it contradicts anything in Scripture. So if you've been praying for something for 10 years and then you get to something in Scripture, you say, oh, that's, I've been praying for that and we're told not to, then you stop. Because you've just discovered that you've been praying for something against God's will, as revealed in his word. Now, there are times where God might just give you such a deep conviction by his Holy Spirit that it's time to stop praying for that thing. Then you stop. But you want to be very sure that that is the Holy Spirit and not your own imagination or your own laziness or your own uh, despair. You want to make sure that it's God who has said, stop. But so long as what you're praying for is in God's will, be persistent. I, I can think of some examples. This is just a very incomplete list of some examples. Number one, you might want to pray for a more God-honoring marriage. But your marriage isn't that much better than it was last year. Keep praying. Because we know that it is in God's will that we have God-honoring marriages that are strong in Christ, where the husband leads sacrificially as Christ leads, and, and the wife comes alongside her husband and helps him as the church comes alongside Christ. 
Let's write out of Ephesians 5. So you open to Ephesians 5 and you pray that for your marriage. And yeah, you may not be seeing the progress that you want, but you keep praying for that. You see, persistent prayer is one way that God conforms our desires to his desire. If you see something in Scripture that is not a reality in your life and you want it to be a reality in your life, then you pray for it. And if you've been in a marriage that didn't make it, then you, you pray for God's healing. And God's grace, because that too is God's will for you. So you pray, God, I feel broken. I feel unwhole. I feel hurt. I need your grace. And you just persistently pray for that healing over a broken marriage that was never fixed. And God gives it. Maybe not all at once. But over time, you can pray for the salvation of your children and your grandchildren. You might say, well, I don't know if my children are elect. Never mind that. It's not for us to know. But we do know that it's God's will that we choose him. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. And he desires that we cry out to him through the one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray for all people, especially our children, especially our grandchildren, especially the children in this church. And yeah, they may be a long ways from the Lord right now, but you keep praying. And your patience and your persistence, God willing, will be granted fruit of the Spirit. You may lack love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control or all of them. Keep praying for them. A deeper grasp of the gospel. Uh, maybe there's just this very subtle uh, strand of legalism braided into your gospel as was the case with me not many years ago. And I'm sure it's still there in, in just a smaller, minute form. So I pray constantly, God, help me to understand the depth of your grace, the height of your love, the width of your mercy. These are good things to pray for. and We ought not to stop praying for these things even if we don't see the immediacy of God granting them to us. And there's many other things in addition to. Now I'm tempted to just stop here. These are two really good commissions, right? Uh, pray. Be patient in prayer. Don't expect God to answer your prayers immediately or maybe at all. Secondly, be persistent nonetheless. Those are two good commissions. Go out, be persistent in prayer, and be patient. But this creates a, a theological pretzel that we uh, get ourselves into that I, I want to address very quickly, and Peter's going to pick it up more next week. There's a dilemma. There's a paradox here. Uh, and, and I could go to two other places in Scripture. I'm just going to cite them, and you can go to them and look into them. On the one hand, the, this, this commission that we ought to be praying persistently is in keeping with one of the parables of Jesus. The parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. I'm not going to go and read it, but the idea is that there was this widow who wanted justice. And so she went to, to the justice of the peace, or the judge, and knocked on his door and kept knocking on the door all night long for, for justice. And he couldn't get a night's sleep because she was persistent. And so, finally he got up and he said, answered her request for justice just so that he could get a moment's rest so he could sleep. And Jesus says, so must our prayers be. 
And so what Jesus is asking us to do there is keep asking for something, and, and your, your heavenly Father who's in heaven, by your persistence, will grant you prayer. Okay, that's good. Now remember, she was praying for justice. What do we know about justice? It's within God's will. If she had been knocking on the door for injustice, she might have just got thrown into jail, and the parable would have taken a, a very different turn. But then you go to 2 Corinthians 12. And Paul talks about how he knows of a man, which is himself, but he's trying not to be too boastful. I know of a man who was caught up into the third heaven, which is the throne room of God. Not this atmosphere, not outer space, but heaven where God dwells. And he saw such marvelous things. And he heard such Incredible things, and if he was to say them to you, you would hardly believe it. And he was instructed not to share everything that he saw and heard. And then he transitions to the first person. He says, in order to keep me from becoming too arrogant because of the things that I've seen and the things that I've heard, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. And I prayed to the Lord three times that he would relieve me of this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it is. But finally, the Lord said, stop praying for that. I've given you that to keep you humble. My grace is made perfect in weakness. I don't want you to get too puffed up. I don't want you to think of yourself too strong. This thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, was intended to continually, day by day, moment by moment, remind Paul that he was dependent on the grace of God just like everyone else. No matter what he had seen, no matter what he had heard. So God says, stop praying. How do you bring these two things together? How do you know when to be persistent and to be patient and when to recognize that you should stop? Well, I've already answered it in brief. Ultimately, I have to say, I don't know when we should stop and when we should continue. And yet, I think the norm in the Bible, if you don't look at 2 Corinthians 12, the norm in the Bible is to be persistent. And I would resolve the tension this way. So long as you are not certain that your request is against the will of God, keep asking, keep praying, keep being persistent. If at some time you discover by the Word of God or perhaps by the Holy Spirit that your request is opposed to God's will, then stop asking. How will you know if the request is against God's will or not? The only two ways that I know of are Scripture and the Holy Spirit. Scripture, I think, is the more reliable one because sometimes we can confuse our own inner voices for the voice of God. But those are the only two ways. Nevertheless, let me leave you with this. Great prayers are patient. Don't expect an answer right away. Be glad when they come quickly, but don't expect it as the norm. And secondly, be persistent. Keep praying for those things that you know or you believe are in the will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Help us to be persistent prayers, aligned to your will to the best of our ability to know. And in our persistence, teach us patience 
that we would wait on you for your perfect timing. And in uh, our patient, persistent prayer, we would be reminded that your ways are not our ways, that your timing is always the best timing, that you are in control of our lives, not we ourselves. I thank you for the example of Isaac who prayed for his wife and because his prayer was in keeping with your will, you granted his request. You gave them a child and through that child came the Lord Jesus Christ. May we likewise pray in your will. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.